You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. I'm your host, Justin Poulin. You can follow me on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and my co-host, John Duke. Follow him at CSL underscore Duke. The show is at CSL underscore Tweet Live and the entire CLNS Radio Network at CLNS Radio. Quick reminder, a Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash CLNS fans. Download the CLNS Radio app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Radio in your app marketplace and go to the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash CLNS Radio for high definition, full length locker room interviews and the garden report with one of our favorites, Jared Weiss. So John, it's been kind of an interesting week. I think we really kicked it off, uh, last Monday when we talked a little bit about you know, Isaiah Thomas. And again, not in a negative light. I was very careful about positioning my statements, but talking about, all right, we've got this glut of guards. How do they all balance out? And it really does come down to, are you going to try to win now or are you going to try to build for the future? And if you're trying to win, win now, we have to look at a different set of moves than if you're trying to build for the future. And we were probably the first outlet to really just go ahead and throw it out there and say, hey, maybe Isaiah Thomas, no knock on Isaiah or his impact, but maybe Isaiah Thomas is somebody you have to look to deal if you're looking for the future. And then the next thing you know, Rich Levine writes an article, and it's the main topic for the entire week. Yeah, well, and I think that it had been it had simmering for some. Maybe they hadn't voiced it uh you know, certainly Marcus Smart's efforts really helped to kind of spur things along. But I think we've been talking about it, not directly or indirectly, I suppose, before last week. But let's be honest. I mean, you have to look at the, the roster composition. And we've talked about it really ever since we all came back together to do the show in that you have two teams right now. And you have the team that's built for the future that's got Smart and it's got, you know, Jalen Brown and it's got Rozier and, and probably Linick is in that group. And, and that part, those guys are ready to, to help to, to lead towards the next, the next wave. And then you have Horford and Isaiah 
and Crowder. And so you're really stuck in a situation where what do the Celtics do? You know, what direction do they follow in? Do they use the young guys to bolster veteran talent around the older guys? Do they eventually say, you know, we're just going to come up short with the older guys leading the, the squad. We just sell them off and get some other younger players so we can build around the younger core. It's not a bad thing. And that's the thing is I think it was really for some as they read through and, and talked through and tweeted through this past week, it became a, a shot against Isaiah. And, and as you and I said, that's that's not what this is about. This is about the team and what direction they're going to go in. And yeah, I mean, look, I think I don't I don't back away from anything we said last week. We are just we have to be real about what that is. And of course, now with the new CBA, there's going to be a, the the path will be a little bit clearer in terms of what are the the economics that that force this thing. You know, is he going to be one of these all NBA players who gets 35 percent of the cap? Seems unlikely. So maybe his cap number is reduced, and maybe there's it's not as it's not as bad of a market as we might have thought. Who knows? But, but well, either way, CBA, you have to ask the question. Yeah, and, and the CBA was the big unknown, and the details are coming out. I'd say our good friend Ryan Bernadoni did a really nice job. Uh, very long but very thorough breakdown of what was known, what's been reported, what is still unknown. Eric Pincus. Uh, an, another great and a very old friend of the show out in LA and he used to cover the team for Hoops World and, you know, now various outlets has a really nice podcast as well. But, um, basketball insiders, Eric posted sort of a little bit shorter, briefer summary and, and talked about the impact on the moratorium. And we'll get into that a little bit as well during the show. But essentially, this was the unknown. The details are going to begin to come together and we're going to be able to see what teams are willing to do. Some of the details of this are very, very interesting. And I, Tweeted it back at at uh, at at Danger Cart Ryan Bernadoni and and I know Sam Sheehan and and you and I were were both kind of going back and forth a little bit and one of the conversations there is that I think is really interesting that probably won't get a lot of run because it really has not a lot to do with composition but the media and their voting for All NBA yes. First Team Defensive Player of the Year. The way that this new CBA seems to be written could have a dramatic impact on some players' ability to essentially get their due, get their payday, and whether or not they might be a player that would be easily moved from the team they're with and have been with versus being able to stay and getting sort of a huge incentive for staying with their existing team. And is spe and specifically, too, another one of those little details in that is, are you still with the team you were drafted by or you at least went to during that first four-year rookie contract? It's, it's, a, it's a big problem, you know, to have these, these – I guess it's not even just – contract, you know, make or break situations. We see this so we had this we saw this in, in, in other sports. I think baseball probably the most predominant one where the the baseball writers have such a big pull and and there's a lot of guys who have pieces of their contract written in, you know, in such that, that if they get so many votes or this or that, then they get a you know nice bump in salary. This is this is turning that on its ear where it's saying not only is it a nice bump in salary, we're talking about really franchises. The whole face of the league 
can really change on the basis of a few people's votes for all NBA. That's that's stunning, really. That's that's probably something that uh, I'm not sure that the league has really thought through. And maybe that means they have to go back and take a harder look at who does vote on the all NBA. Does it become more about it should be the coaches. coaches. It should be the coaches. I'm not even sure it should be the players. The coaches are the ones, but I, I don't think it should just be the head coaches. I think they have to say, you know, certain members of the coaching staff, assistant coaches, et cetera. And, and, and I'm not sure how many, maybe it's three votes per team, but that's the way it really should break down is the people who are game planning against the opponent who really have, and I'm not saying that members of the media don't, but the members of the media could have an axe to grind. And uh, based on what happened with somebody like DeMarcus Cousins this last week, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit too, but based on what happened with him, somebody who had an axe to grind, I'm not saying they would necessarily hurt Cousins, but there's an aspect to this that I think also, and I said I think it's intentional. Ryan said uh, he's not so sure it's intentional, but I think it might be. From a marketing perspective, if you have players that cooperate with the media and put themselves in a positive light with the media, that helps the NBA's brand. So leaving it in the hands, leaving the voting in the hands of the media, I think it might be not entirely intentional or for that only that purpose, but it certainly isn't a bad side effect and would only help the NBA continue to market itself in a more positive light if players knew that giving more members of the media less access or treating them with disrespect could eventually cause them a couple of votes and some serious dollars in their uh, their big contract year. I think I think that's I'm not so sure that's unintentional. Uh, at least not even if it's a minor intent. It's not the the premium reason for laying out the rule that way. I'm sure it's not a bad or or seen as a negative side effect. So that's interesting. My resolution though is I think the coaches should be the ones voting. Yeah, I I think that's I think they should be a part of it. I think the players should be a part of it. I think that those are those are two I think front offices should be a part of it. I think I may, might as well make it a bigger, broader vote then. So that way you really do get a, hopefully a better sense of things. I just, you're, I mean, you're right. There is a, a benefit there. Uh, we saw with Boogie Cousins, <laughs> um, which is, I think, a much more complicated situation than what the Sacramento Bee would like to have us all believe. Uh, not I do too. impressed. I'm not at all impressed with, with that effort to try to it seems vulture-like, game the system. It? Yeah, it seems vulture-like. It does, and I and I get that. Not that we're, we're getting off. I'm getting off topic here, but you know, it's not. That's the that's the downside of the situation where Boogie uh, may do as well as he can on the court. I mean, we've all seen the tantrums and the you know the faces and all the, all that other immature stuff he pulls on the court. No worse than Kendrick Perkins. Well, and that's what I mean. Like so on court, but right, and that's the problem is that like. Is Boogie gonna get his due because you know he he yelled at uh, a writer who you know wrote some things that were unflattering about him? Yeah, that's that's the thing, you know. And, and here's the other. Th- okay, here's the other. If you want to kind of go flip it on the other side of it, if you're if you're an enterprising general manager, wouldn't you want to try to get guys like that? <laughs> because that's the you know they're kind of right below that, so you're gonna get you know the production of all NBA, but you're not gonna have but you're not to having pay. to pay for it. 
Yeah, it almost brings a value to it. I guess you're right from a from a contrarian point of view. There's a mm-hmm. benefit to the GM on the other side of that equation that if they take a flyer on a Ricky Davis or a Rashid Wallace or a Ron Artest, Meta World Peace, that somehow they're getting a bargain for having to deal with that on some level. And now we're talking two de- two degrees of separation from you know the actual situation of being voted for all NBA, et cetera. But Cousins is sort of an interesting I mean, we've talked, there's been links, Adam Kaufman, um, from the Celtics at seven on ninety eight five the sports hub said that not from either organization, but from other organizations around the league had heard something interesting tying cousins potentially to the Celtics. Everything's been denied, of course it has, it always will be. But you look at that situ right? Remember that old quote we used to have from Danny Age? Be like, trade, trade rumors, trade rumors. All you guys want to talk about is trade rumors. Yeah. But they're just rumors. That's what they are. So it, but it's not a surprise. The assets are in Boston, et cetera. But to your point, having a player like Cousins come to Boston, I know on the one hand, you have somebody like Jeff Goodman who says he's a cancer. And then you have somebody else on the other hand, Mark Spears, who we spoke with coming up on a year ago about Cousins says that he gets a bad rap and he's not the bad guy that everybody thinks he is. And nobody knows about all the things, all the good he's done in Alabama, right? So totally two polar opposites. This guy couldn't be more dividing of the fan base. And the big question on Brad Stevens is could he handle somebody who could potentially be a cancer? You know, is he just simply what we said comparative to Kendrick Perkins in terms of attitude on the court? that maybe he doesn't get some calls that go his way, but ultimately does he find himself on a team like Detroit where where Rasheed Wallace landed? Certainly didn't hurt Rasheed Wallace's ability to win championships. That's right. And and she you know, and when he was with us here at the end, he was a great soldier and trying to he did everything he could uh to try to help the Celtics, you know, pull it through and, and obviously he was a gigantic Force, I think probably the force that really was the difference for Detroit in 04. That, you know, just because they're, they're mercurial, they have a hard time to, to, you know, they're not exactly going to willing to go with the flow doesn't mean that they're not able to, uh, to compete and produce. Boogie, there are more questions about than there are than most guys. I mean, we know that, but as long as he's playing in that festering sore of an NBA city that is Sacramento, it's never going to get better. I mean, they couldn't even they, – their former mayor who built the arena. I mean, you start look, you start reading through some of the stuff. And, of course, I follow a lot of these guys from Sacramento on Twitter now because this boogie stuff's been going on for two years. And just the crazy stories about this city and what's going on. Forget Boogie Cousins. Uh, you know, the way they've tried Rudy Gay, uh, you know, Ben McLemore. I mean, it's just – it goes on and on and on. And – you know, so how can you really judge the guy? Yeah, it's the, pro- it's like, the, the question it's of, are you a product of your environment? Absolutely. And lots of trade talk in general. I don't want to even limit this just to Cousins. Uh, obviously, he's a player that is intriguing on some level, but, but again, really has the fan base divided. But a player that maybe everybody – a lot, well, I would say a majority of pl- people, fans, etc., were interested in that soured and flip-floppy in a similar way, maybe not as much of a game-changer, but Noel down in 
Philadelphia obviously hitting the news. Also, probably the two biggest pieces of negative press from the week were Cousins and Noel and Celtics fans, you know, just jumping on it on Twitter to talk about those two players potentially coming to Boston. Noel, though, is a player who has roots in Boston. We've talked about, hey, we've got a glut of guards. Philly's got a glut of big men, et cetera, et cetera. And this ties into the collective bargaining agreement discussion for a couple of reasons. I see you tweeting out, John, that maybe Olenek would be part of some sort of a package for Noel. Um, I'm not a big fan of that. But the other piece of it being the collective bargaining agreement and how restricted free agents and unrestricted free agents will be handled in this coming off season had a lot to do with the moving parts in that scenario. I, for one, didn't want to necessarily see a trade for somebody with a longer-term contract, like a Terry Rozier, to bring in Noel, because then I was like, well, then all of a sudden we've got this restricted free agent, and maybe that we have to lose a couple of players to be able to sign that max free agent, and the timing of it could wind up hurting the club. Turns out, though, with the details of the collective bargaining agreement coming out, restricted free agents can get an offer July 1st. The moratorium for unrestricted free agents goes to July 6th. But the time you have to match a restricted free agent, that clock does not set until July 6th. So conceivably, the Celtics could figure out all the moves they want to make with unrestricted free agents between July 1 and July 6th and then make decisions on players like Kelly Olynyk, who is going to be a restricted free agent, and Noel. And so now maybe I'm softening. I really love Terry Rozier, but maybe I'm softening somewhat on trading a player with one, two, three more years on their contract for somebody who's a restricted free agent. Because the way the details have come out is we can gamble, we can match, and it would actually help because we, we've talked about this before. Even if we renounce Olenek, depending on the way their cap numbers fall, there still might not be enough room for a seven to nine year vet on a max. We might have to be one tier below that, which would definitely, you know, start talking about Griffin, you start, start talking about some of those other players. It could be a little bit more difficult for the Celtics to woo the max free agent player. Now I think it might actually help offload salary if you win and you let Olenek and Noel go. And if you don't win, then you keep Olenek and Noel and you let Zeller and Johnson walk. And that's provided there's no trades that happen during the season. I think there's a lot of opportunities now with, with what seems to be coming out. Again, we, we don't know all the details yet because it's just been, you know, it's been coming out in drips and drabs. And thank goodness to, to Eric, uh, Eric Pincus over there at Basketball Insiders to kind of teasing some of this stuff out, which, now has has we were going to have Ryan Bernardoni try to join us tonight, uh, Mister at Danger Card himself, having finished his opus, but unfortunately he had to go back in the lab <laughs> to rewrite it because those that new information came out. It's so really funny. He literally just got it done. It yeah, I mean he tweeted it out like you know two hours ago, and now he's like I got to rewrite three quarters of this because it, it it's a fundamental change, especially for the Celtics because you're right. A guy like Nerlens Noel, a guy like Kelly Olynyk, both guys drafted the same draft class, coming out. Uh, now they've got a situation where they're both restricted free agents. They're going to get – I mean, if they if someone makes them an offer, they're going to get paid. But they're not a max guy. So you're in this kind of weird space where if someone wants to max them out, you're going to lose them. 
So do you lose somebody like Terry Rozier and then you know, we have like a few months of, of New Orleans Noel? That would be one of the dumbest moves you possibly could take, and that's not a Danny Age move. Having said that, though, now with this new information, it seems that there's a possibility you could go out there, go out and get your, your Gordon Hayward, your your Blake Griffin or whoever, and then then you make your decision on what you do with Nerlens Noel. And no one's going to care if Nerlens Noel is gone if you've signed, you know, Blake Griffin or you've signed, you know, Gordon Hayward or, or whomever. So I and think it's moving great. a player like Rozier may actually help you have the cap space to do that by trading for a restricted free agent because it helps move right. dollars off the books that you might need, but you're not taking a risk of losing talent. It actually, ironically, I thought a week, I would have said a week ago, you are losing flexibility by trading somebody like, or you're at least losing talent by trading somebody like Rosier for Noel. And now the way that this is shaking out, I'm thinking you might actually increase flexibility and break even on talent in a nice swap that is a one for one. I don't see the point of getting rid of Kelly Olinick for Noel, but I do see the point of, hey, you know what? Maybe you pull up Demetrius Jackson, and he does your spot minutes in the guard rotation, and Marcus Smart plays more minutes, especially, and we'll do a week in review when we come back from the break, but we'll do a week in review, and we'll talk about how some of these younger players are getting better. We have to talk about Jarebko and a lot of calls, a lot of, lot of writers and fans clamoring to see Jarebko join the starting lineup and obviously finish that Charlotte game really strong and started the second half. So we'll get into that a little bit. Before we go off to this break, though, here in a minute, I think we do have to just take a moment and talk about Craig Sager because obviously a huge loss to the community, the NBA community this week, only 65 years old and uh, had a great speech. Uh, I think he got the Jimmy Valvano Award uh, recently. It was given to him by the vice president, and Mike Gorman mentioned it in the third quarter of the Charlotte game. I tweeted it out as well, but I would encourage everybody to um, hear what, what Craig had to say about his fight against cancer and his outlook and attitude on life, which was just as colorful as his clothing. I mean, what I loved about Craig Sager was not just that he was um, somebody who really kind of – brought the human side of the game, whether it was Popovich, whether it was KG, whether it was, you know, Jordan or, or Pippen or, or Barkley or, you know, any of these guys. I mean, he, you know, there, there's such a, I think, a a very rigid tool with, with how those sideline folks do it. And he was very good at what he did. He was very good at, at getting the, the, the strategy of the game out of who it was. But he also had a, a very human way of doing it. And I think that's why people really responded to Craig Sager. You know, yeah, it was, you know, the whole costume thing. I mean, it became kind of a a thing that probably was hard to deal with as much as anything. But he was, in terms of having to probably dress like that all the time, but maybe he loved it. I don't know. It, it seemed like, he, you know, he, he enjoyed he enjoyed everything about sport. And it was that's what's great about sports is, you know, those that aren't cynical and aren't trying to, to tear each other down and all that. And that was that was Craig Sager. He was a, a completely honest broker. And that's that's part of what's great about watching TNT's coverage. You know, he and Ernie Johnson, those guys really set the standard for the way basketball should be covered and, and a reason why a lot of people became fans of the league. 
And so, it, you know, now he's at a huge loss. But it's also a great opportunity for him to share that message of what he's been going through these past months and years and how strong the fight is and how much we all really need to be involved in trying to do what we can to, <laughs> you know, find a way to, to take this menacing thing that's called cancer out of it's all of our lives and, and do what we can to try to stop it and uh slow it down and and support those who are going through tough times like him and it's just it's such a such a shame but uh you know we we really were blessed to have him covering our favorite sport and, and our teams for such a long period of time yeah and the only thing i'll say is i know the holidays are always a difficult time for a loss and you know sometimes as as much as there's cause for celebration and spending time with family it can be a tough time of year for others and I'll just say it always causes pause for reflection whenever, you know, somebody that you feel connected to, even if remotely, just by having watched him on TV and never having known him personally. But I will say that his intent for how we would reflect on his contributions to the NBA is so incredibly positive. And I, I just I can't I, I can't tell you you know, how much of an inspiration that can be, you know, for, for, I'm sure not only himself, but for Ernie Johnson and the people that he worked with. And he did say in that speech how thankful he was to the folks at TNT for being willing to adapt. And I just want to shout out to an organization that is going to support, you know, somebody that has given the organization so much loyalty in many respects feels like a lost art these days. And I think we can give TNT a little bit of props for letting Craig live his life the way he wanted to right down to his final days. And, and I think that bears mentioning, um, the hardest part right now is transitioning to one of our advertisements, but I'm going to try to do it anyway. And then we will play a favorite quote from KG to honor Craig Sager before we head into um, our commercial break with audible.com. But first I'm going to tell you about blue apron. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. And so they set these high quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. And at the end of the day, it's only $10 a meal or less, and they're going to give you seasonal recipes. They don't use the same one twice in one year. It's a great way to bring the family together. If you don't have a large family but you eat out a lot, this is a nice way to change it up a little bit. It's definitely less expensive than going out to eat. Um, it gives you a reason to, to be home and maybe you learn something and the calories are right on there for anybody who is counting calories and calorie conscious. I think the thing that was amazing for me was that the food, when it, when I actually cooked it, it looked the same as it did in the picture. And John, I'm happy to announce that Blue Apron has picked up our sponsorship for the entire 2017 calendar year. So they've been very good to Celtic Stuff Live and we want to make sure all of our listeners get a good opportunity as well, which is you will get your first three meals for free with free shipping. All you have to do is go to blueapron.com forward slash CSL 
2016. You're going to love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com forward slash CSL 2016. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And now, just a quick minute-long tribute to Craig Sager before a word from audible.com. John and I will come back. We'll do a little bit of a week in review. We'll talk about the starting lineup. We've been clamoring for Jonas Jurebko and Kelly Olinick and lineup changes, changes that were predicted at the beginning of, of the year and in training camp. And then obviously Amir Johnson throws a little bit of a wrench in that. And on Sunday night has probably his best game of the year against Miami. So real quick, just a reminder of, of, of one of our favorites, Kevin Garnett and Craig Sager. And we'll be right back after this. I know we're going off the app for a little bit, but I need 10, I need 10 to 15 seconds to say to you, okay, look, I've never in my life tried to really go at you in your suits and stuff. Tonight, I am stressing to you, you take this outfit home and you burn it. We don't want to see this. I know you don't double back with outfits. I've never seen you in an outfit twice, but you take this right here. I don't care if it's Versace, name brand. It costs Saeed. You, I, no, Saeed, I don't care. You take this and you burn it. It's not any part I can keep? No, nothing. So when you get done with this, you should be butt-ass naked. This should be, <laughs> this should be burned. Okay? It's good to see you, like always. In, in the shoes, too. Just burn them. Okay? They, just burn it. Don't ask no questions. Just burn the whole, the red socks, which the people can't see at home. Take all this, handkerchief, lime thong, all that. Burn it. Okay? Fire cell. Burn it. All right, we're back from the break, and I think, John, you and I should probably look at a little bit of a week in review, kind of talk about the team how they've done two and one, I think is what we both predicted. You you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we both saw the loss. Did you say an upset in San Antonio? No, no, we both said a loss, right? I was going to yeah. say, cause you've, you, you had your optimistic ways and then you, you predicted the one in three week and nailed it. But I thought we both came around to, you know, maybe they'll start to climb back up a little bit in those standings. I mean, it's a tight race, from the three spot to the tenth spot, but I do think now that the Celtics are healthy, they're going to separate themselves in that number three slot. I think four through ten will probably be a grind for the rest of the year, but I have a hard time believing that the Celtics, when healthy, won't push up towards those top three and away from the midlings. I hope you're right. I, I, you know, it's it's they still they haven't yet put together a forty-eight minute game. Tonight they they played really well for probably 24 minutes, and then the second 24, nah, not nearly as good. And then of course the wheels really came off in the last few minutes uh, when when Isaiah Thomas got knocked out of the game for some foolishness in my well, mind. Well, just but, all those flagrants they they set a precedent, and then it got out of control for the refs. Yeah, yeah, and I know I know that was something that the the review center said it had to be a two. There's no way that's a two. This, and if it is, then then they're gonna re relook at the rule because that's just stupid. It's just a stupid. Well, even the Draymond situation. Green rule, right? I mean, that one right. is a little right. out that of control was too. The white side, he, that wasn't a flagrant. I mean, come on. I mean, Kelly's no. head was there. I mean, it wasn't. It, it was, was Winslow, though, right? It. 
Wasn't it Winslow? Oh, oh, the first one, the white side the in Olenek. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, but even the Winslow to the groin of Marcus Smart, like Casey Affleck to his buddy on the Dunkin' Donuts commercial this week is, or on Saturday Night Live, you know, all of them, all of them just totally screwed up. And I guess the white side to Olenek is what set the stage. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's what really kind of teed it off, I guess. And once we went down that road, it just was seemed like a I, – I felt like Mike and, and Scal really just didn't know what to do with themselves because they're like, well, we don't think this is it, but now who knows what what's the you know what could happen. So it, it was a very tough situation. But having said that, even with that – that was a team, really, in, in my opinion, it's not good. They're not a good team. They they have not played well this year in the in the slightest. Uh, you know that they, they've got the the sixth worst worst record in the league. It's it's Whiteside and not a whole lot else. Dragic, you know, maybe Winslow becomes something. It, it's that's a team they should be blowing out. And and the way they played in the first half was maybe they were making their shots and all that, but they they still have not sustained that effort. And defensively is where I'm worried about them the most. I thought they defended well in the first half, not at all in the second half. I thought they defended well against, you know, Houston. Well, in the all first the turnovers half, that we've been waiting so well. for. You make a great point. All the turnovers that we have been waiting to see this guard tandem yes. do. And Larry H. Russell had a great interview with Jack Armstrong a week ago talking about players and especially the guards over committing on defense and it costing them against the Raptors. I think there's definitely some strong elements of truth in that statement and it probably has cost them their ability to get turnovers just because they're overplaying their position and not creating the turnovers as they gelled in the first half of that game uh, against Miami, those turnovers were back. It was nice to see. But to your point, that third quarter was horrendous. I mean, it really, they came right off that whole aggressiveness that we saw in the first half. They took their foot off the gas pedal. They've been known to do that. Even when they jumped out to the early lead, I thought to myself, this will be a four-point game by halftime. And when it wasn't, I was truly surprised. I thought they might put a full 48 together. I Yeah, I, I thought so too. I mean, what what's promising, though, is that the way in which they were defending was causing them to defend and look like the team last year. They they would have times where they would defend well and keep the scoring down, but they wouldn't get the turnovers. Tonight, they had 13 steals as a team. That's a lot of steals. Five alone from Crowder. If if they If Crowder is playing that type of defense... And, and they're kind of back to those old ways where they're lurking in passing lanes and they're, they're kind of not exactly playing on a string, but I think that's where we're, we're trying to build, right? I think that's what, you know, you and I are talking about is building that consistency, going, you know, kind of just playing together. You know, this is a group that really hasn't played together, a Linux aside, since training camp. Well, so we talked about it last week. You gotta build too, that. That the bench was going to benefit from Isaiah Thomas's absence, Al Horford's, all these injuries were going to benefit some of these players. Jalen Brown earlier on, when Jay Crowder was out with an injury, it helped him get some playing time. And at the end of the day, I loved the substitution pattern 
uh, in the first quarter for at uh, with Charlotte. It was Smart and Brown first off the bench. Terry Rozier, I think, within the next minute. I loved that initial substitution pattern. Second half of that game, Jarebko gets a start. Then in Miami, they change it up a little bit, and it's Smart and Olenek off the bench first. But what I will say about both games, although Miami was far more entertaining, the Charlotte game was the... I mean, despite the reviews in the Miami game, the Charlotte game trudged along. That one felt so (laughs) slow, even though it probably actual time was not as long as Miami's because of all the reviews in Miami. But the game itself just slogged along. And But I will say... I think in both games, and yes, they're more inferior opponents than the ones that the Celtics have been playing as of late, a lot of top-notch teams that they've had to face. The transition from the starters to the second unit, I thought, was fantastic. I think the bench has really started to gel. I think we're seeing the benefits of them having to fill in for spot minutes. And if everybody can just stay healthy and Brad can do minor tweaks to the sub-pattern based on matchups and the players can get into sort of a role of what they can expect. Remember, I think it was was it David Lee last year said it's really hard to perform because you never know if you're going to play on any given night or you don't know what your role is going to be on any given night. It's proven to be Brad's M.O. to tinker like all get out or in this case this season he had to because of injuries but these first 25 games nothing seems to have been stable during the Brad Stevens era it's almost like they have to work it out and just as we may be able to hope for last as happened last year maybe will happen again this year out January and down the stretch maybe this team will go on a little bit of a run and and is it possible that they might still hit that 50 plus win season that most of us predicted you know, I was, I, I back it up a little. I mean, I, I think to jump to the end of that, yes, I, I they they absolutely could get back on pace. They're gonna have they had a really hard stretch. They, I mean, and, and if you look at the percentage of of winning percentage, it wasn't that bad. But you look at all the road games they've played, basically from the end of November until Christmas, almost all of December. Every other day was on the road. And they've had this kind of go away, come home, go away, come home thing for about two weeks. They've they've played Golden State. They've played the Spurs twice. They've played Cleveland twice. I mean, they've played basically five games against the top three teams in the league. They're go- going to have played, uh, you know, the the Thunder twice. I mean, it's just it, that's a lot. That's a lot to put on this team's plate early on and in the face of all those injuries. So now. They're really going to have a chance to go against, in large part, the rest of the league. And so I feel pretty good about their ability to, in terms of playing out the rest of the string. I just don't understand, you know, I think it's it's about consistency and, and, and trying to find their their way and find their their mojo, I guess, as a team. And I think finally now we're starting to see that mojo, you know, and trying to see those steals and see that defensive effort. Maybe they won't be a top three defense like we thought they'd be at the end of the year. But that's not really what this year is about, is it? We really don't care what happens in the in the regular season. We want to see them advance to the playoffs. And That's we need to difference. see that offense get better. And we need to see Jay Crowder attacking the basket. I do think the team has evolved somewhat. And you go back to the Jarebko in the starting lineup. And Brad has indicated against certain matchups, we might just see Jarebko in that starting lineup. I'll tell you, 
this is what I really think should happen, and I we might have touched on this last week. I think Kelly Olynyk needs to go into the starting lineup, create a little bit more spacing with Al Horford, and then have more of a Jarebko and Amir Johnson off the bench substitution pattern in the front court to help have a veteran presence to stabilize the young guards that are going to come out. You're going to see Rozier. You're going to smart is a great distributor and, you know, obviously the rotation won't be five and five, but ultimately when the full bench is in there, I'd like the bench unit to look like smart Rozier, Brown, Jarebko and Johnson. And I think Jarebko and Johnson can stabilize it. I know Jarebko has proven to be one of their more solid rebounders, and certainly Amir Johnson has never loaded up the rebounds. And we talked about it in the first half of the show. He had a nice game against Miami, knocked down a three-pointer, had a nice sweeping hook shot, and all around played pretty decent defense. But at the end of the day, I think that bench unit would really benefit. And I think Olenek, having some shooters out on the floor, I think having Olenek, we talked about it in preseason, that that would create spacing for Isaiah Thomas. And I know he can find daylight seemingly where there is none. But at the same time, it's important, I think, to try to surround him with shooters earlier in the game so he can kind of get off a little bit. I think Kelly Olenek gets time. I know he's not 100%, but we did see him really aggressive in that Miami game. I'd like to see him finally move into that starting lineup like we thought would happen earlier in preseason, even though we knew it wouldn't be that way to start the year. I think you're right. I think he's that's the natural progression for him is being able to, to come in and and play with the starters and really open things up a bit. You know, I think that second unit, you know, partly what they're trying to do by keeping him with uh, Jarebko is is having it so that you can keep the floor space enough that when you do bring in Brown and Smart being out there, the floor at least isn't so so inverted, which I understand. That makes sense. Uh, and, and certainly with Smart's move back to the bench here, I think that that's probably why you know they've done that. In fact, tonight they, the moment the smart comes in, they bring Jarebko with him. You know, so it's they're they're really tying smart with a shooter. They're really trying to do as much as they can to try to keep that space. Well, because then the they're through. taking advantage of him being a distributor. If you have a whole bunch of drive guys, guys who need the ball in their hand to create offense, who aren't knockdown shooters, it limits his ability to create. And I, I think Tom Westerholm or Jake King, some I think somebody from Mass Live tweeted that out during the game against Miami about surrounding smart with shooters. But absolutely, John, your point is 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 100% on the money. He's out there with Jarebko for that reason. He is. And I don't, and I don't mind that. I think, and Jarebko has played outstanding ball. Um, you know, but, but the question then is, you know, what does that do? If you do move Jarebko to the starting unit, is there a way to kind of balance it out so that way that second unit still has that shooting to go along with it? Um, that's the that's the, the rub, I guess, right there, is when you pull him out and you make him play with the starters a little bit more. But if you want to really knock your socks off here on this, the third best offensive rating on the team is <laughs> is, if you can believe this, Amir Johnson. Uh, actually, if, if per 100, he leads the team. If, well, as long as you don't count. Demetrius yeah, because Jackson. he's out with the he's best with offensive all... players. I mean, if yeah. you just look at it, it it's a it's a fa- it's a matter of 
the team that he's the the players that he's surrounded by. He spends most of his time on the floor with Isaiah Thomas. I mean, he he's out there a lot. I think Jarebko's earned the starting spot. I just don't think it's the right match for the rotations. But I do right. find you know the Johnson statistic is still somewhat incredible. But if you just think about you know, first quarter success, jumping out to leads, the things that this team is known for. It's really the third quarter flatness that has caught up with them so much in recent weeks. Those statistics make a lot of sense, especially when you see that Jarebko's the guy in the Charlotte game who got subbed in the second half for exactly that reason. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Minus seven on the game. You know, I mean, there's some some games are going to be a better fit for him. And that was one where you've got big, long guys that can all shoot and are skilled. It's, uh, you know, it's a tough world. You know, I will say, though, I thought credit to Amir to, to bounce back because I, I've been really critical of him in the last two months, two weeks here. And I'm glad to no, see No, since that opening tonight, week, we all have. <laughs> yeah, really. Since, yeah, that's true. Everybody's but, been asking the question, is the plantar fasciitis impacting him again? Well, I, I don't, well, I, yeah, we talked about that for sure. I don't know who anyone else is, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's been not good, you know, at least when you look at it on the floor, but the numbers are, seem to be telling us something different, which is, is kind of interesting. And so causes me now to look a little bit harder and say, okay, what am I missing here? You know, because he's, he is, he's, the numbers don't lie, and he is one who has been healthy throughout these stretches. So no matter how much did that third it, quarter in Chicago boost that number, that's what it, I want well, to know. Well, <laughs> hey, I don't know, I don't know, but you know, it's it's a funny thing though. I mean, he's in terms of you know minutes, he's he's you know he's not near the top. He's he's sixth in minutes played for the team, and that's you know obviously well behind Avery Bradley, Isaiah Smart, uh, Crowder, and Horford, but. You know, and with all those injuries. So, you know, it say, is as long as you're talking minutes stuff. per game, no doubt. But hey, it's, it's effective when it's happening. So I, I'm, I'm going to give him a little bit more credit than, than maybe I should have been. But either way, good effort from him to, against the Heat. I'll tell you one other nice development was when Isaiah did go down in that game with three minute, three minutes to go. Miami makes a run, 7-0 run. They cut the deficit to five after being down 12. And all of a sudden, Al Horford goes baseline, throws down a dunk. Then he gets a put back on the next play. And I think, I think he made one other play. I can't remember what, what it was, but he really was the go-to player. We talked about it last week that Avery Bradley really wasn't suited to be the go-to guy down the stretch. And it showed again in Miami. It was nice to see Horford say, okay, this is my job. I'm second to Isaiah in games like this. And to have Hassan Whiteside right there being the shot blocker and disruptive force that he is in the paint is extremely encouraging to see that from Horford. Yeah, no, I, no doubt about it. Horford, Horford, I think played well, you know, in a tough situation. I mean, I think this is a, a tough matchup for him. And, you know, though Amir took him at times, they, they tried to kind of play that game. And, and I thought that Horford is, I think he's starting to kind of find a bit of a groove with the team and the guys he's playing with. I mean, this is, you know, it's one thing we say, well, this group is the same group, but we've added Al Horford. But if he's the guy who's, you know, his, his having such a large role in this team, you can't, you don't just add that piece like it's a Lego 
and be like, well, now see, I got, I got, it's bigger now because I have that extra Lego piece. It doesn't work like that. You know, there's chemistry. There's, you know, these pieces have to fit just like we were talking about with Jarebko. And I think Horford's the same way. He has to fit in with what everybody else is doing too. And the health of guys like Crowder, five steals, starting to take the ball, the basket a little bit. Those things, those guys playing the way they can play. Now Horford is like, okay, well, I'm healthy. Now I have to augment myself to take advantage of that. And so let's hope for some good health here for the next month so these guys can at least get comfortable, get used to each other, and build some chemistry. Yeah, we need the the health for the rest of the season, really, if we can at all help it. And, again, the uh, first, I guess, open season for trades was December 15th. You have to think that there was a major pause waiting for what is going to be ratified with the collective bargaining agreement, maybe even a push to get this thing done so that some deals could shake loose. And then we know like somebody like Tyler Zeller can't be traded until January 15th. I think that's like a base year um, ruling or something along those lines. Anybody who signed a contract this season could, can't be moved until January 15th. Something along, I'm sure I'm botching some of the details, and I promise you I will screw up the CBA every time I talk about it to some nitty-gritty yeah. detail. However, the dates are real, December 15th, January 15th, and the impact of the CBA on whether or not those players are going to move is real. But don't think for a second we don't still have our eyes on these Brooklyn draft picks because right now, as it stands... Brooklyn has tied with two other teams, a total of three, for the worst record in the league at only seven wins. But there is a ton of depth. I don't care where this pick lands. This year is absolutely 100% loaded. A couple of interesting notes as we're really underway now and we're watching some of these players. I know all eyes are on Markel Fultz, uh, Dennis Smith, Josh Jackson, but a lot of guards, which really makes the Celtics roster as it relates to the pick this coming year, even more potentially unbalanced. But if you did have to make a trade for some of these guards, maybe it makes it that much easier to do as long as you retain the Brooklyn pick. So one big one is Malik Monk with Kentucky going off for 47 points, I believe, in like 38 minutes or something ridiculous. So another guard, point guard, shooting guard, probably more of a shooting guard, that went off. And then another note is Harry Giles, John, somebody that yeah, I know baby. you're super excited to see play. <laughs> and they're not a guard. It's a power forward right. Right. and is going to make his debut tonight for Duke here on Monday. So pretty exciting stuff. I saw Jeff Goodman's tweet. He was on his way to uh, to be able to go and, and take that game in. Absolutely. That's a big deal. Uh, Harry Giles is... If you could ignore his medical file, he would unquestionably be the guy that you would want to have be the the uh, the Celtics pick here in, uh, in you know for this this draft. I mean, he 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 fills all the kind of checks all the boxes. He's the guy who's what he offers is is certainly what what we need. And if Harry Giles can can be that guy for us, then then that would be outstanding. My question is, is he healthy enough? And that's what we're going to see. You know, if he can, if he can play well here over the next, you know, six weeks, uh, you know, three months, I should say, uh, you know, if he can play well over that time, he's going to be the guy that, that the Celtics would want. So if they get number one pick, he's the guy. 
That sounds great to me. You love those Duke guys. There's no doubt. You're you're all in. And uh, how's your boy making out in L.A.? How's he making out? Well, he's he's doing well. I mean, they're, <laughs> look, hey, the Lakers are playing well. So. Embiid is a runaway. It's just so ridiculous. Well, Even well, though he hasn't played in so many years, it's just it's kind it, of a it, joke. It's really a joke. It's not. There's there's no conversation for rookie of the year. It's already done. Well, I don't know. He got he tweaked his knee tonight. It it <laughs> we'll see. It's early yet. We we see this all the time. We, I I would not be surprised if he tweaks his tweaks his foot, you know, does something, and he's you know doesn't play. I mean, it. We we all. I mean, it's I don't something about being that. in Philadelphia, my man. It's yeah. it's got to be in the water. It just it's like you show up and you you get your first drink of tap water, and the next thing yeah. you know, you have osteoporosis. I have no exactly. idea what's going on. Exactly. Yeah, get the umbrella out. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> I I just. It's terrible. I feel bad for him. And, you know, it's just, it's such a caustic situation over there. I mean, they really, it, you know, there was some quotes by Brett Brown on, on, on Sunday night saying, you know, I, you know, cause he, basically they're announcing that they've, they're benching their own. Oh yeah. Well, he's which, done. Yeah. Which, he's not going to play for the foreseeable future, which yeah. means you win, you're forcing the trade. The CBA is imminent. And yes, you'll be the hell out of Dodge. Right, but it's, you know, and they've got Rashawn Holmes, who's also another big who they could be, you know, who could play and, and maybe develop into something. They got Okafor. I mean, all these, all these situations there. And it's, it's a really a terrible, tough, tough situation. And, you know, that's kind of the lesson for some of these rookies. I mean, you look at, look at the situations of, of the other teams right now. Of course, we know Philly. Dallas is, is really, even if you get almost picked, surprisingly bad. I know it shouldn't yeah. be, but. But but they're so bad it's a surprise. But they're but they're on their way down too. Like like even if they're not going to be better, that's the right. They don't have you know the I mean? ability to replenish. They haven't bottomed out. Right. They're going to keep. Yeah. Absolutely. You know. So you know you're going. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Good coaching, but that helps. The the T wolves have been have not been good. You know, you haven't seen really where uh, what we thought we get just it. Too young, it, dude. Well, I thought they'd be better than seven and nineteen, though. At this point, maybe you know, they'd be. They'd be, you know. Come on, Thibodeau is all predicated on defense, and the young guys never play defense consistently enough. This is one of those teams that looks like they're sandbagging, and the next thing you know, the defensive light switch or light bulb goes off for these guys as because they have to play team defense to be successful no matter how good the talent is and then the next yeah. thing you know they make like a 20 to 25 game jump in the standings in one year no it, it's it's one of those you know towns i think a lot of people were expecting more towns he was ready for i mean wiggins it, it's a it's a good group they're gonna have to start figuring out how they're who they're gonna pay too you know they're kind of in a, in a similar situation so phoenix Miami. you look at these situations and while there's talent out there, there aren't. You know, you're looking. Okay, who? Which is who's going to be able to take advantage of this next guy and come out? And you know, certainly Boston is is more poised than nearly any of them to really give them a spot to nurture and grow and 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 build something of themselves. As Jalen Brown has started to do, Terry Rozier has done, Marcus Smart has done. Uh, that doesn't mean. I mean, certainly Towns and other guys have have starred in some of these places, but. 
it's a tough road. And, and so, you know, all things being equal, and you look at these guys who are coming out, you talked about Malik Monk, who's, you know, certainly somebody who I think a lot of people have eyes have been opened a little bit wider. Um, but there's, like you said, there's so many guards. And how do you, what do the Celtics do with, you know, you, let's say they get the number one pick. Markel Fultz is like considered to be the, the far and away number one guy out there. What do you do with that? Yeah, that's that's the end of that? the story for Isaiah Thomas and Marcus. Well, that's Smart. right. Yeah. Well, right. And and Bradley and you know, I mean, there's just the ripple effects are just endless. You know, if you get the number one pick, it's it's almost like when Cleveland got the number one pick. You know, several years ago. I don't see LeBron signing here, but you're in a situation where the the ripple effects from this are just absolutely tremendous. Yeah, they, and, there's just too many assets to know what to do. They got to make. I think it would behoove them to make an in-season trade if they can, just to position themselves for not feeling so crunched when those decisions have to be made. And I'm not talking about a one-for-one deal like a Rosier for Noel. They really need to make. They need to find a way to make that consolidate, uh, consolidating trade. No doubt. Hey, speaking of a long road. The Celtics just obviously played one game on the road. We gotta wrap the show. We gotta look at three more games. Well, two more games on the road out of three. Then they get home against Oklahoma City. Maybe a rematch where we're hoping for a little bit of revenge. And then they're on the road on Christmas Day against, yes, that's right, the New York Knicks. So I've always gone first, John, with our predictions, oh. but I'm gonna take a back seat. I'm going to let you rock the week in uh, prediction or the, the, the week that is coming. Me- games against Memphis on Tuesday, Pacers on Thursday, Oklahoma City back home, second night of a back-to-back, then a day off for Christmas Eve, and then they play the Knicks on Christmas Day, noon start time there. What do you think they do this week? Wins, okay, losses. Well, well, first of all, first of all, before we even get there, are you are you suggesting somehow that because I've gone second I, I I'm more accurate? Is this is this what's no, happening? No, I've been here? more accurate. <laughs> Up until the big okay. loser week of one and three, I was oh, on a roll. Okay. I said two and two that week. So okay. I, I think I've accurately predicted all but two weeks so far on the season. That's why we keep doing this, because I like being right. Ah, okay, okay. Well, still, if I think if any anybody were, had been putting money on our thoughts about where they would be, they're certainly in the hole and probably mad at both of us anyway. So yeah, no this, doubt. Yeah, nobody likes there's the house. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's look at these teams. So we got Memphis, we got the Pacers, Thunder, Knicks. I'm gonna say three and one. And here's why. Yeah, yeah. They definitely win against the Knicks on Christmas Day. I don't care that it's in New York. They're going to win that game. They want to. They're going to want to send a message. I think to to the league. Everyone's watching, and despite a a really crappy run of things, they're going to. They've seen to play well against the Knicks consistently. One and two. I think they really want to send a message on Christmas Day. So then I think they win in Memphis. I think they kind of build off of what they did tonight. They're going to have a battle with Marcus Gasol, but I think that they're going to be equal to the task. I think their guards, and, and, and certainly without, though they've played well without Conley, I think they're going to be tough. I think they'll get one win out of the Pacers and Thunder. My guess is they beat Indiana Thursday night. They lose to the Thunder on Friday night uh, at home. 
just by sense of it, three and one, feeling good about it. Let's see. I'm with you. All right, what do you got? I'm not going you, three. And, no, I'm going two and two. Okay. I think I think they, but it's I'm essentially I'm I'm with you in that, except for the Memphis game. Memphis, I think they lose. Pacers, mm. I think they win. Oklahoma City, second night of a back to back, I think they lose. Although I think normally they would take that one, but they have this holiday letdown thing that that they can do, and and being the second night of a back to back, and looking forward to being with family before having to play at noon on Christmas Day, I think they drop that one at home. Plus, they haven't really been very good at home lately. It was nice for them to hit the reset button against Charlotte on that, but I think they had lost four of the previous five games at home, so it's certainly not out of the question for them to lose against. Oklahoma City. So I'm going to say kind of an on-again, off-again relationship with the win-loss record is it'll be a loss against Memphis, a win against the Pacers, a loss against OKC, and I'm hoping for a trouncing against the Knicks, which would get set up by a loss at home to Oklahoma City, then a little bit of time with family, come out refreshed, re-energized, reinvigorated, and ready to take it out on, you know, the... uh, the, the 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 rivals the local rival Knicks who are actually above 500 as it stands today so they're a better team than maybe you know they were the laughing stock the last few years but but that's my that's my prediction and John I want to wish you and and anybody else who celebrates Christmas a Merry Christmas hey right back at you man you know it's it's a it's a season for for all of us to uh you know spend time with family and friends and and give and uh you know i i hope i hope you get a chance to enjoy it as well it's uh it's 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 gonna be a great great christmas and uh certainly let's hope it's a good twenty seventeen for celtics fans too yeah let's hope that's no the doubt. gift for all of us yeah everybody have a happy new year for sure anybody who celebrates festivus for the rest of us uh happy festivus um but no matter how you celebrate during the holiday season i hope you have a nice one with friends and family um and get a chance to kind of take a step back from work and the world you know and regain perspective and and just kind of enjoy enjoy the time before we hit reset button and get this stretch run coming out in january all the way to the playoffs starting in april and heading through june and then the draft it's going to be an exciting 2017 it is my favorite number we we will squeeze in a show i'm sure before the new year i'm not sure if we're going to pump it out there the day after christmas or not but we'll certainly uh let you know if we end up making an adjustment to the release date uh if it is going to be different than next monday but Everybody, the broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as CLNSRadio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. I'm at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. Appreciate everybody for tuning in, and you can support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review because your feedback is extremely important to us. And a reminder that today's show has been brought to you by Audible.com and Blue Apron. They've got a great deal for all of you listeners, but most importantly, you'd be supporting our show and the entire network. A thanks to the loyal CLNS radio audience who makes it all worthwhile. And for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS radio Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition 
of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.